We are in Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 15. Now, there's a question that it begins with, and so I want to place it in its context and begin with, with, with verse 11. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. Sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. And when Paul says something like that, that you're not under law, but you're under the grace of God, the abounding grace of God that just pours upon us as believers, he knows that there are those that are going to hear such teaching and 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 that their minds are going to go to a place of of wrong thinking. And so he asks the question, what then? As a result of this, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Temptation is always before us. It's always there. So the question is asked, should we, should we sin? Should we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? Should we, as a result of God's grace that comes upon us, should we sin? Should that be the way that we think, where we, we look and we say, it's, it's grace, it's just God's grace comes upon us and we're not under the law, but he, he just, he, he floods his grace upon us. So since we're forgiven of all of our sins in the past and every sin in the present, and since we will be forgiven of every sin in the future, should we sin now? And just know that God forgives it. There's times for us where temptation comes our way and we know that he always makes a way out. There's always an escape. But there's times for us as believers where we go forward with the sin knowing that he's gracious. And so Paul would say, should we think that way? And his answer is, certainly not, or God forbid, no, 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 absolutely not. Don't think that way, is what he says. Do you not know, and he, now he gives us the reason. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves, slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey? Whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. Should we sin, since we're not under law but under grace? Absolutely not. And the reason that he gives, the first reason is, don't you know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you're that one's slave? 
You're a slave to whatever it is that you obey. Whether it be sin, a slave to sin that leads to death, or whether you be a slave of obedience leading to righteousness. And in verse 17 he says, But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. But God be thanked because we were slaves of sin. Every one of us. We looked at that a couple of weeks ago. That, that as St. As Augustine said, that we were in a place where we were not able not to sin. Prior to regeneration, prior to Christ coming in our lives, we were not able not to sin. We sinned. We were slaves of sin. Any one of us who is a believer now, looking back upon your life, you look at it and you say, I, I was a slave to sin. Uh, I, I had no ability to, to act in a way that brought glory and honor to God, that, that was anything close to the fruit of the Spirit in my life, anything at all that would be considered good because of the depth of my sin. And it wasn't until regeneration to where my eyes were open and my heart was changed and the Holy Spirit indwelled me that, that there came this place in my life where, where you and I were able to, to have righteous deeds in our lives. We were able to do good. And it wasn't because of us, but it was because of Christ in us. And, and prior to that, we were just absolutely slaves to sin. Yet you obeyed. From the heart, that form of doctrine to which you were delivered, the gospel. These people believed the gospel. Notice that it says you obeyed from the heart. It wasn't just a, a belief where it's okay, I recognize that Jesus is God and that he died on the cross for my sins and he rose again on the third day. I recognize that. It, it, he's not saying that. He's saying, you believe from the heart. It was a, a genuine faith. It was a real faith. Something that came from our heart as, as, as a gracious gift from our Savior in which we believed. It was real. In verse 18, it says, And having been set free from sin... You became slaves of righteousness. Having been set free from sin at regeneration, you at that point became slaves of righteousness. So you, you, you think of people. There's, there's two different types of people. There are no others. There's those who are slaves to sin, and then there are those who are slaves to righteousness. There are those who... who are still dead in their sins and trespasses, and there's those that are alive in Christ. There's those who, who are enemies of God, and there's those who have the Holy Spirit residing within them, and, and they are a part of God's people. And you are slaves of righteousness. Think of looking at history and just watching people who you see in their lives that they are absolutely slaves 
of righteousness, slaves to God. Our trip was, um, was a little bit of a whirlwind as far as what we did. This was our family vacation for, for the year. And, and we, we were planning on going someplace relaxing, and then Charity, our missionary to Sudan, got engaged and asked me to pastor the wedding in Holland. And so things shifted to where it's, okay, we are going to Europe then. And, and so we, we started out in Moscow and visited the Far East Broadcasting Network's um, staff there just had an incredible time learning about the church in Russia and, and, and just a sweet, sweet time with them. We, we went from there to flying to Munich, and then from that point we drove, and we drove to Salzburg, Austria, where the Sound of Music was filmed. There's lots of Sound of Music singing that has taken place over the last couple of weeks. From there, we, we went up to Prague in the Czech Republic, went straight across to Germany, stayed in, in some cities there, and then went to Holland, and then went to Brussels, and then went back to Holland, and then went back, back to Moscow, and now we need a vacation. <laughs> but, but part of the reason why we, we did this route is because I've, I've always wanted to, to go on a, on a little bit of a tour to see some of the, the places in which it was the places where there was the greatest impact on, on that time in history known as the Reformation. And, and as we went into Prague, the idea of the, the, the Reformation, one of the first people that you think of when you think of Prague is, is, is John Huss. He was someone that, that came before the Reformation, but, but just had an, an incredible impact on the church. He, he preached there in, in Prague and, and preached to the people in their language in a way that they could hear and spoke out against Doctrines such as, as position of, of the Pope being the authority or the Scripture not being the sole authority or, or salvation by faith alone. And, and he, he preached passionately about these things to where it got back to Rome and, and he ended up going into exile into an area of Bohemia. And, and he wrote this. During that time, what, what fear shall part us from God or what death? What shall we lose if for his sake we forfeit wealth, and friends, the world's honors and our poor life? It is better to die well than to live badly. We dare not sin to avoid the punishment of death. To end in grace, the present life is to be banished from misery. Truth is the last conqueror. He wins who was slain. 
for no adversity hurts him if no iniquity has dominion over him. And, and this man just looked and said, I'll lose it all for him, for Christ. I mean, someone who went from being a, a slave to sin to being a slave to Christ, to where he looked at his life and said, none of it matters in comparison to Christ. I'll give up everything for him. He was sentenced to death. And you look at the process of, of going there. He was, he was told that he could have safe passage to go to Switzerland to, to, to be there for a hearing. And, and as, soon as, as soon as he got there, even being told that he'd have safe passage from the emperor, he was immediately or shortly after arrested. He spent three months in prison, and it was just absolutely brutal for him. Three months where he nearly starved. His health got so bad that it, it maybe wasn't even going to get to a place of trial because they thought that he was going to die before. He went to the emperor and said, you told me that I had safe passage. And, and we're told that, that the emperor just blushed with shame. But he went to be executed. He was executed on July 6th of 1415, 45 years old. And he was told prior to that that he could recount, recant. And his response was, I would not for a chapel full of gold recede from the truth. Not for a chapel full of gold. He said, as he was going to, to be executed, when, when someone gave him an, another opportunity to, to recant, he said, God is my witness that I have never taught that of which I've been accused by false witnesses in the truth of the gospel which I have written, taught, and preached, I will die today with gladness. Today with gladness I'll die. They, they took wood and, and kindling and they tied him with, with wet ropes to bind him there, put a chain around his neck, they, they used as kindling John Wycliffe's manuscripts, those that Wycliffe had written before that had had such an incredible impact on us. And as they, they lit him on fire, he, he sang the hymn saying, Christ, thou son of the living God, have mercy upon me. He just began to sing. The people said that, that the fires just consumed him and he sang until the fires were in his face. 
We're told that some of his last words was, we're, we're in a hundred years, God will raise up a man whose calls for reform cannot be suppressed. 102 years later came Martin Luther. We, we drove from Prague through this incredible snowstorm through the mountains and landed ourselves in Wittenberg. Wittenberg's that place in Germany where, where Martin Luther hung the 95 Theses on October 31st of 1517 on the castle church door. He went there and looked at the door. Saw the place where he preached the most. Saw the place where he preached his last three sermons. Saw the place where he died. Went to Erfurt where he was a monk and tried to be the most monkish of all monks. And it was at that place that God saved him. Revealed to him salvation that comes by faith alone. I think of, of Luther when he was brought on April 17th of 1521 at 4 p.m. before the imperial diet at Worms in this, this city that's there in Germany. And, and, and he was told to recant the things that he had, that he had written. And he says to ask, he just asks for some more time to, to pray about these things. And so he goes that night and prays and records that the, the final part of his prayer was, and though the world may be filled with devils, and though my body, which is still the work of your hands, should be slain, be stretched upon the pavement, be cut in pieces, and reduced to ashes, my soul is yours. Yes, I have assurance to your word. My soul belongs to you. It shall abide forever with you. Amen, O oh God, help me. Amen. Now here's someone that is told, you... You are to recant. He's brought before the, 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 this, this diet of worms. And, and when, when the, the emperor was asked, why did you not, why did you not go back on your, your promise to give him safe passage? His response was, I thought of it, but I thought back to the emperor with John Huss and how he blushed. And I didn't want to have to do that. Even in John Huss's death, he, he, the, the, the experience was, that was there saved Luther's life at, at, at the time of his trial. Luther said of John Huss, I was overwhelmed with astonishment. I could not understand for what cause they had burnt so great a man who explained the scriptures with so much gravity and skill. You, you think of the... the the Diet of Worms where he's there before him and, and, and as he's there and he, he gives his historic reply when he's asked if he would recant, he says this, Since your majesty and lordships ask for a plain answer, I'll give you one without either horns or teeth unless I'm convicted by scriptures and by right and plain reason. For I, I trust neither in popes or councils since they've often erred and contradicted themselves. Unless I'm thus convinced, I'm bound by these texts of the Bible. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I neither can nor will recant anything since it's neither right nor safe to act against conscience. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen. 
And you, and you look at this and, and you look at it and you see someone who is there and, and as far as he's concerned, he's going to get executed after this. And you look at him and he, he just says, I'm bound. I'm bound by my conscience, by the word of God. I'm enslaved to Christ. I am a slave to him. I'm not my own anymore. I've been bought with a price. I belong to him. Just as John Huss sang a a, a hymn as he's being lit on fire, Luther is there just saying, I can do no other. Here I stand, I can do no other. Why can he do no other? It's because he has been enslaved. Slavery is something that we think about and and we immediately go back to to what what takes place took place here in, in the United States and in other parts of, of the world during that time of the, the African slave trade and just how horrific it was and what people did during that time. And yet, at, at the time of, of this, when this would have been written here in Romans, um, in, in that particular empire, there were slaves everywhere. Some say that, that I mean, at, at the least, it was one out of five people were in slavery. More than likely, because you could earn back your freedom sometimes if it was a, if you were enslaved because of your debt or other things. But more than likely, according to some of the commentaries I read, the, the Church of Rome could have easily been made up of 50% people who were either slaves or had been slaves before. So they knew this. They understood this. They understood the idea of slavery, of being enslaved and and when you look at people like Huss and Luther, you look at these people where they're saying, I'm enslaved to him. I belong to him. I once was a slave to sin. I am no longer. I am bound. Here I stand. I can do no other. God, help me. In the early 1500s, William Tyndale wanted to translate the Bible into English. Now remember, Luther translated the Bible into German, the New Testament into German, as he hid in, in a castle up in Wartburg. We, we went and visited that place in the room that he, he stayed in, and where he would have translated the Bible into German. This guy's spend their entire lives towards this. William Tyndale translated the Bible into English. As a result of translating the Bible into English from the original Greek and Hebrew, he had to leave England. It wasn't safe for him to be there anymore. 1525, the English New Testament was ready to go to press. He was also able to finish several books of the Old Testament. But in in, in 1535, he was arrested just right there near Brussels. And and within a year, he, he was strangled and then burned for translating the Bible into English. We're told that his last words were these... Lord, open the king of England's eyes. Here here is someone who is enslaved to Christ to where spends his entire time leaving his, his 
homeland, leaving his family, leaving his people, going on the run, going to Brussels where he would eventually be arrested, but translated the Bible and, and stood on that to where when it came the time for his death, he just prayed, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. And within a couple of years, that took place. Within four years, four English translations of the Bible were published in England. One of them being the Geneva Bible. It was that Bible that was taken to, to Jamestown in 1607. It was that Bible that was on the Mayflower in 1620. And here's an original copy of it from 1599. could easily have been this. Translated into English... 80% of this came from Wick, uh, William Tyndale's translation, and, and the rest he had not finished yet in the Old Testament. But you look at that and you think, on the Mayflower, those that came over to our country at the very beginning, they, they had a, a translation, 1599, that came from William Tyndale, who was strangled and then burned. These people were enslaved. They were enslaved to Christ. But so are we as believers. We're enslaved to him. Look at our text. It, it, it makes this so clear. Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you're that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked, though you were, you were, past tense, slaves of sin. Yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. This is who we are as believers. We're slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. We are slaves. Think of, think of what it is to be a slave. To, to be a slave is, is to be in a place where there's total, complete self-denial. A slave doesn't get to decide what they're going to do next. A slave is under his master and listens to what his master says. There's total and complete self-denial. A slave is one who is to wholeheartedly follow their master, giving themselves entirely to him. And that is who we are in Christ. We are called to wholeheartedly heartedly follow Christ, giving ourselves entirely to him. In Colossians, it refers to bondservants or slaves. In verse 23 of chapter 3 of Colossians, it says, And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you receive the reward of the inheritance. For you serve the Lord Christ. You are a servant of him. You're enslaved to him, so do it heartedly. 
You think of the Christian life, it's not one in which we're to be lukewarm. It's not one in which we're to be half-hearted. It's one in which we are slaves to Him and we are to give ourselves entirely to Him. It is what you are. It's not what we hope to be. It is what you are. When we're talking about these things and He says, should we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? His response is absolutely not because you're not a slave to sin anymore, but you're a slave to righteousness. And so since you're a slave to righteousness, act like it. That's who we are. We can't change that. We've been bought with a price. He is our master. We are to be eager to serve Him. We're to approach Him humbly with a heart of complete submission. You hear Paul say, "For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I belong to Him in my entirety. My, the entirety of my being for me to live is for Him. To die is gain. Just like John Huss died. Just like William Tyndale died. Just like they were burned at the stake. For them, every part of their life was for Him. We know we belong to Christ because He purchased us with His precious blood. 1 Corinthians 6.19 Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you're not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. It belongs to Him. This is glorious for us when we look at it. When Paul is saying, don't you know these things? Should we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? Don't you know? To, to, to ask that question means that you don't understand what's taking place probably because don't you know that you're not slaves to sin anymore, but now you're, you're slaves to God. That's who you are. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. He owns you. He purchased you. The entirety of you belongs to him. So as a result, why would you ever live in sin anymore? We're to give every part of ourselves to our master in total obedience to him. Romans 12, 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. You take your whole body, everything that you are, and you present it to him as a living sacrifice for the purpose of holiness. The purpose of holiness. We have temptations coming at us from all directions. Christians are capable of incredible sin. You may be sitting here this morning and you just know like there is incredible sin in your life. And God would say, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him. It's your reasonable service. You have been bought with a price. You belong to him. Serve him. It seems crazy if, if you have been purchased by him and you have a master who is so good and he's so gracious and he's so loving and he provides everything for you to go back to being in a place where you go back to your old slave master. It's absurd to think, I'm going to go back and I'll serve under the same slave master when God's saying, no, you've been set free from that. 
You're no longer under sin. You're under grace. There's this change that's occurred. Don't go back into that same place. You're now slaves to righteousness. You belong to him. Don't act like you did before. There needs to be a difference in us. I think of this place that we are at in, in, in Revelation 22, verse 3. It says, there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and, and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. You picture us in heaven, and, and, and we, we're before him, and we serve him. And we're told, we'll see his face and his name shall be on our foreheads. Why would his, our, his name be on our foreheads? The reason why is we belong to him. That is our position. For all eternity, we as bond servants will joyfully serve him. He's our master. Everything we do is to be done to please him. So we're exhorted to in Scripture. I think of in James 4 and verse 13 where it says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, make a profit. Whereas you don't know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. It is that idea of slavery to God, to Christ, towards righteousness, where we don't just say, I'm going to do this, 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 and this. God says, no, you're in a different place now. Now you're in a place where you ought to say, God, if it's your will, I'm not my own anymore. I was bought with a price. I'm not going to plan to do all of these other things. I'm in a place where there's these things that I think I ought to do, but it's all saturated with prayer because I don't belong to myself anymore. I'm a servant of yours to where now in my life I look at it and I just say... If the Lord wills, if my master wills, I'll do this or that. But not my will, but thy will be done. It's not about me anymore. This mentality of of freedom, I want freedom, I want freedom. We have been freed from sin and we are in the most free place ever. But the freedom that we have now in Christ is to be enslaved towards righteousness, which we were never able to do before. But now we belong to him. We're told in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. We're told in Matthew 6, 24, For no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You can't serve God in this world. You can't serve God in money. You can't serve two masters. And the picture that is there is you are a slave to Christ. It is what you are. If in your mind the idea of slavery is just a bad word to you, don't have it be that way when you look at your relationship with Christ. Have it filtered through the lenses of Scripture and who Christ is to you to find it the most joyful place of of I can't serve two masters anymore. I'm no longer enslaved to money it's not just about money and building money and building my kingdom and building my assets and building all these things i serve him now so everything i have belongs to him and i want to use it in a way that brings the most glory and honor to him for his kingdom for his purposes for his glory it is all his 
We're told you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. A slave to his master where it's everything that I am is to you. We once were entirely in slavery to sin. Sin was our master, but now we are owned entirely by Christ. Titus 2.14 says, He gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. So he purchased you from every lawless deed that is over here, and he purified for himself his own special people, who are to be zealous for good works. There's this change that took place in our lives where we have been redeemed from every lawless deed so that we could be zealous and excited and enthusiastic and loving to abide in him, that good works might come forward from our lives all through his enabling and for his glory because we are servants of the living God, slaves to him. Slaves of of our master. Just as a slave in this particular kingdom, the, the, the slave owner would be the one is that that is to provide for every need that the slave has. A slave doesn't decide what he's gonna have, doesn't decide what he's gonna do. He he doesn't have anything. He's totally dependent upon the slave master to give him food or to give him clothing or to give him shelter. And these are things that the slave master was to do. And then you look at our relationship with Christ and, and Christ says to us, Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after these things, the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And so we no longer are in a place of seeking all of these things because God says, your master knows what you need. Trust him. Just trust him. Trust him to provide for those things. He's good. Ask him. He's gracious to give it to you. Philippians 4.19, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And so as slaves of righteousness, we're servants of the living God, we wholeheartedly desire to please him, and we're accountable to him alone. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 says, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. In Matthew 5, 21, said that, we're told that the Lord came to the servant and said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you rule over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. We're accountable to him. We're servants to him. We're slaves to him. And we're accountable to him. And so in our text, in verse 17, once again, it says, But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you've become slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh, for just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness 
and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. This is an exhortation to us now. You look at it and and it says, this is what you were. This is what you have become. You once were in a place where, where you were slaves to uncleanness and towards lawlessness leading to more and more. Isn't that how it works? You start out and, and, and you, you dabble with a little thing. You start out, you sin in a little way. Never satisfies, it grows more and more. The lawlessness grows more and more. And, and, and God says, that's what it was like when you were slaves to sin. But now that's not how it is anymore. So the exhortation that goes forward is, is so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness, for the purpose of your sanctification. Present yourselves to him. Brothers and sisters, this is so important for us to understand. You belong to him. We're told in the Bible where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And it does. You you could be here this morning and be in a place where you just look at your life and you see the sin that's in your life and it is so ugly and it is so full and and it has been so putrid. And however much it is where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. That is how God operates. That is how he works. If there was one sin that you committed that was too great for God to forgive, what that would be saying is when the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross, it was not sufficient to forgive that one thing. And that is blasphemous. It's sufficient to hurl all of our sins into the depths of the sea. There's such freedom in Christ and in the gospel that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And as a result of that, how should we think? Go back to the first question, what then? The answer is, you belong to him now. You're to take your members, you're to take your body, you're to take your mouth, your ears, the things that you see, your feet, your hands, your your mind, every aspect of you and say, it is all to you. You take someone as brilliant as, as, as Haas and, or as, as brilliant as Tyndale or as brilliant as Luther and, and you look at these guys and they, they came from poor backgrounds, most of them. But they committed themselves to him to where they're translating the entire New Testament most of the Old Testament. They're going before emperors and saying, I can do no other. Here I stand. Because they know that every aspect of them belongs to him. And you think of the goodness of God as we serve him like that. So blessed by the wedding. Charity who's been our missionary to Sudan. I've shared with you before, but she lived in this little village that was there, this little compound about 50 miles south of Darfur in Sudan. And the most, I mean, to me, the most miserable place you could ever imagine. I mean, the heat was, was terrible. It was like 120 degrees, 25 degrees during the day. We'd get down to about 115 at night. There was no relief. There's no... There's no air conditioning. There's no cold drink. There's, there's no place that you can go to just relax. There's people coming to her all throughout the night 
babies being delivered all the time, people coming with malaria or, or incredible other sicknesses. And she's the only medical clinic there, and she's there and just serves them and, and, and lives there. There's a little dirt runway that she had to clear herself so that planes could come land. She built a, a, a medical center there, and, and the way that she did it was taking wheelbarrows with two other girls and going down to the river miles and miles away, filling it up with sand, coming back, building blocks, and building the structure by themselves. And I, I think of it just, just her heart to serve these people. And she got married in this incredible cathedral built in the 1400s. I mean, just gorgeous. I mean, it was unbelievable. And, and then the other part of the ceremony and the reception was in this castle that was just beautiful. And, and the snow had fallen. She wanted snow for the wedding. And it had snowed more that day than it had the entire year. And everything was covered with snow. It was a winter wonderland. And I look at it and think, God's so good. Here's this girl serving for the last 12 years in Sudan. Called to Sudan at 15, moved there, and, and started preparing to, at 18. Stayed there for 12 years till, till God brought her a husband. And and you look at it, this, this girl that has just served like that, and God just says, you know what, you, you, you get the most incredible cathedral ever to have your wedding in, and then you're going to get married in a castle and, and have your reception there, and I will make it a winter wonderland for you. And you just think of the goodness of our, our master. He is so good to us. He delights in doing good to us. Present your members as slaves unto him. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. You couldn't, you couldn't live righteously before. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Think of your life before being a Christian. What fruit was there that was there that you're not ashamed of? Where God says there's this radical change now that's taken place where where those things were leading towards death, but now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end to everlasting life. That's sweet. That This one led to death and destruction, but now it's towards holiness. You take your life and you say, God, I want to put the full armor of God, on, the shield of faith, helmet of salvation, belt of truth, shoes shod with the gospel of peace. I, I want these things that are there, the sword of the Spirit. I want to fight. I want to depend upon you. I want to have it be where there's accountability that is here and use my gifts to minister to the brothers and sisters here and have them minister to me and fight sin and hate sin and pursue righteousness, pursue holiness. I'm a slave to him. I want to present my body, my, my instruments to him. I belong to him. I want to give it all to him because I'm his slave. I once was going towards death and now I'm going in a way where the, the result is, is holiness and in the end everlasting life. This is what is in store for me and it's glorious for us. And so this is who we are. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have believed from your heart the doctrine, the gospel, 
If you have believed from your heart that your sins were placed upon Christ and his righteousness was placed upon you and he is the son of God and that he died on the cross for your sins and he rose again on the third day and he could forgive sin and all of your hope is in the gospel, then you know, then you know that you are no longer slaves to sin, but you are slaves to God, to Christ, towards righteousness. So let's live like that. Let's not go back under that old place in which we once were that led to death. Examine your lives. May I examine my life. Look at it and say, I have been set free from sin. Should we sin? Since we're no longer under the law, but under grace, absolutely not. God forbid we have been set free from it. We have become slaves of God. You have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. Now let's do it through his enabling, by his grace, as we depend upon him in all of these things. He wants us to think like this. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would cause our minds to be renewed and to think this way. So that if if that question ever comes up in our mind as far as what then? Should we sin? May we see our salvation in what you have accomplished for us, making us no longer slaves to sin, but slaves towards you. And may we think that way and see you as our good and gracious and loving master. And may we joyfully, wholeheartedly, with the entirety of our being, live for you and serve you, totally dependent upon you in these things in such a way that you get all of the glory in our lives. You are so good to us. And Lord, may now that be reflected through our praises. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.